And we are studying the life of Solomon on, on Sunday nights. And yet, in talking about the life of Solomon, it's important that we have the right lens to understand what is ultimately happening. Because a lot of things you're going to see Solomon do sometimes come under criticism. The things that he goes about doing for the kingdom sometimes are looked at with skepticism. Perhaps he's sinning. Is he doing something wrong? Things like that. And the lens that we need here in these first uh, 10 chapters is, is a very important lens because it is a picture of the establishment of God's kingdom. And this is giving imagery for us of what the kingdom is going to look like. As we go through these chapters, we're going to see these, this buildup of the kingdom of God through Solomon. And you are getting a foreshadowing and a taste of ultimately what it's going to look like when the rightful king, the pure and perfect king Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. And so it's with that lens that we need to look at what's happening uh, in, in this chapter. And we're going to see then this picture of the son of David who has established his throne and is establishing the kingdom for the good of the people of Israel. Chapter 2 sets us up with a picture of David's final words to his son. And I think it's important for us to consider that these final words are not really about David, but they are ultimately about Solomon and what Solomon needs to hear as he goes forward as the rightful king over the nation of Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 2, it says there in verse 1 that David's time to die drew near. He commanded Solomon, his son, he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me saying, if your sons pay pay close attention as as to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all of their heart and with all of their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And so the beginning that David gives is a call for Solomon to be courageous and to be strong, to act with the responsibility of the rightful ruler over Israel. Take responsibility of that. This is the charge that has been given to you. In fact, David even reminding Solomon of the promise that was made that if they would walk in the right paths, that the sons then would be established on that throne. And so he's calling for him to do that very thing is that you need to be strong. You need to then rule in terms of being the king over Israel. And notice in verse three, the wording of what this looks like, that you are keeping the charge of the Lord, your God. And what does that ultimately look like? But he says to follow in his ways and to keep his statutes, his commands, his rules and his testimonies as they are written in the law of Moses. Essentially, David boiling it down to a very simple concept. You are the king over Israel. Take responsibility with that authority. And what you must do then is to be guided by God's laws. I want you to walk in his ways. 
And, and that is always what God has said to do. That has always been the call is that we would not be guided by our ways and our desires and go our own paths, but to go God's ways, which is ultimately challenging because we want to be guided but we by what we think we want to do that's ultimately our big problem is well here's what i want to do here's what i think is right here's the the path that i think i need to go and notice the instructions to to solomon from david is not you know you do what you think is best no, he says, I want you to follow the ways of God. I want you to walk in his paths. I want you to listen to what God has called for you to do, because that's what it means to possess the kingdom, to rule in righteousness, to be the king, to be strong and courageous. I want you to do that, Solomon. It is so important for you to not be guided by what you think is right and best. If you know where this trajectory all ends up. This is ominous signs of David with a very important warning to Solomon that you should not go the way that you want to go. And ultimately Solomon will reject that. But here is the important warning right here. Don't do what you think is best. And what we have to ingrain into our minds is that we will always go the wrong direction when we do what we think is best. There's not a lot of absolutes in life, but here's one of them. (laughs) You will always end up going the wrong way if you listen to your own wisdom and your own think-sos and do what you think is best and do what's right in your own eyes. That's why David is telling Solomon, don't do that. Follow the ways of God. Look to God. Look to His direction. Keep the charge and walk in His ways. Keep the commandments, the rules, the testimonies, everything that God has proclaimed. And sometimes we can look at God and think, well, you know, God is just a a bunch of rules. You know, it's a bunch of do and do not, walk in His way. And I want you to notice that the way David frames this is not... You know, you just need to do what God says. You just need to obey. But listen to the rest of of verse 3. Why does he need to keep the charge? End of verse 3. That you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn. This might be one of the hardest concepts for us to ever drill down, but this will be one of our best ways to fight against sin and to desire God more is to realize that every command that God ever gave is for our own good. And serving Him and obeying Him is for our own good. And that's what David is telling Solomon. I want you to keep the charge and keep the rules and follow everything that he says. And here's the reason why. If you do this, you're going to be blessed. You're going to prosper. And everywhere you turn, God is going to be with you. He's going to stay with you and walk with you. In fact, verse 4 is, He's going to keep this promises that He made to me concerning you and my sons. Keep the charge. Obey His laws. Do as He says. Don't do what you think. Do what God thinks. And that will work out well for you. You can think about the book of Proverbs and how essentially... The book of Proverbs as Solomon sits down and says, my son, and tells him the very same thing. If you'll keep the charge and 
fear the Lord, that this will be the beginning of wisdom and it'll lead you in the right paths and it'll keep you out of danger and it'll bless your life. We must look at God's laws as the safe place to live. So often we look at God's laws as keeping us from fun, keeping us out of what we desire to do, keeping us from the goodness of life. And what God is doing is saying, no, I'm trying to keep you from danger. It's the same idea of putting the fence around your house so the kids will play in the yard. The kids think it's so much better out over on the other side of the fence. You know, they're in the safe place. And you're trying to communicate that to your child. No, here is the safe place. Not safe over there. Not better over there. Dangerous over there. And so often we do that with God. We look outside the boundaries of God's law and think, oh, we'll prosper outside of His rules. We will do better outside of His ways. And here's David with an understanding that he gives to Solomon. Keep the commands. It's for your good. It's going to be useful to you and important for your life as God will bless you wherever you go if you will follow him. Now, verses 5 through 9 are the section that I think there's a lot of struggle. I see you all fanning yourself. So if you're not fanning yourself, my apologies, but we'll cool down. Verses 5 through 9, you'll notice now what David then continues with. Because now what he starts describing are really acts of justice. Like in in verse 5, he starts describing Joab. You know what what Joab did, how he dealt with these uh, two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner and Amasa, uh, whom he killed, avenging in a time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, pursuing the with the blood of war belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. You might remember that Joab did that out of really strict revenge and really self-promotion. Joab goes about and just simply kills these two men outright. And what you see David now telling Solomon is you need to do something about that. There needs to be justice for what Joab has done. He has spilled innocent blood and that is ultimately not acceptable. And therefore, use your wisdom, verse 6, but do not let him die in peace. There needs to be a judgment that comes. Similarly, in verse 7, he then flips the coin and says in verse 7 to deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai. Remember, when David is on the run as he is being chased by Absalom and his Barzillai, who shows David loyalty and brings him supplies and gives him what he needs. And what I want you to see that sometimes when we talk about justice, the only thing that we will key in on is judgment or punishment. But I want you to see the concept of justice is also a positive concept. That when this kingdom is established by Solomon, the son of David, yes, there needs to be punishment for the evildoers, but there also needs to be reward for those who are loyal. And that is what David is proclaiming. Joab did wrong and there needs to be judgment. Barzillai did right and then there needs to be reward. And so deal faithfully and loyally with his his children and let them eat at your table, verse 7, because of the loyalty that they showed to me. In verse 8, he flips back to the other. 
You might remember Shimei. <laughs> Shimei foolishly, as David was leaving with his, his men, all the way out, you have this man Shimei just hurling curses at David, throwing rocks at David and his men, throwing dirt in the air, and proclaiming curse after curse after curse. And when David came back, he quickly came out and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so David did not do anything then. But even still, there needed to be judgment. Shimei had done horribly wrong. And so verse 8 describes then that David says to Solomon, you need to bring judgment upon him for what, for what he has done. Uh, so verse 9, therefore do not hold him guiltless. You are a wise man and you will know what to do. The big picture that is being established for us is that this kingdom of the son of David must bring justice. Justice must come with the kingdom that the son of David establishes. That is the big picture of what this chapter must be about. As the wicked then will be dealt with and judged, while those who have been loyal will be shown kindness from the arrival of the king. That sets up then this really interesting play out of how this is going to look. The first nine chapters are the the description. Here's, Here's what I want you to do, Solomon. You need to walk in the ways of God. Keep His ways. Be faithful to Him. And you need to execute justice. This is what your kingdom must be. If you are going to be the the son that God wants you to be and be faithful to God, then I want you then to bring justice on the wicked as well as reward the righteous. Well, now the rest of this chapter is going to describe the establishing of that kingdom in this way. You have in verse 13, well, verses 10 through 12, you have have David then dying after his 40-year reign. In verse 13, we are reintroduced to Adonijah. If you remember last week, we saw Adonijah. Adonijah is the the next oldest son of, of David. He's really was third in line, but all the others have, have died at this point. And so Adonijah believed he was the rightful heir to the throne. And so he went about kind of throwing a whole party, claiming himself to be the next king. And so we remember Nathan and Bathsheba have to run into David and say, we thought it was Solomon. And yes, it is Solomon. And so it is proclaimed that Solomon is is going to be the king. And important to remember that as Adonijah was asking for mercy, holding on to the horns of the altar, begging for mercy, Solomon said, if he shows himself to be a worthy man, he will live. Essentially, if he bears fruit worthy of repentance, if he shows himself to live up to his words, then fine. But if he shows himself to be wicked and worthless, then judgment's going to come upon him. Well, that sets us up for what happens next. In chapter 2, we're told that in verse 13, Adonijah appears to Bathsheba. And he has a fascinating request. He comes to her and basically says, you know that I should have been king. But the Lord saw to it that it wasn't going to be me. 
And so here is my request. And I know that Solomon will not say no to you. Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. And so I want you to ask of Solomon to let me have Abishag as my wife. Now, you remember who Abishag is? Abishag is who we saw at the end of 2 Samuel. She was the one who was brought in to attempt to keep David warm. We saw in that a picture, or actually at the beginning of 1 Kings. She is the one who has come in and he is pictured as, as weak and frail and unable to keep himself warm. So 1 Kings 1 describes her being used in that way. Well, now David has died and here we have Adonijah who is wanting Abishag to be his wife. You will notice Solomon's response to this. You will notice she asked in verse 21, verse 22, King Solomon answered his mother. And why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. And on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me and more. Also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who established me and placed me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. Now, a lot of people read that and think, Solomon, you're overreacting a little bit. That seems to be a little bit much, you know, it was just a request. You could have just said no and and gone on your merry way. But it's important to understand what he's doing because Solomon recognizes what he's doing. To understand what he's doing, think about what Absalom had done when David went on the run. Remember that one of the ways that Absalom showed himself to now be the rightful king and ruler over Israel was to sleep with David's concubines who had been left in Jerusalem. Remember, David left them there as a placeholder to say, I'm not abdicating the throne. I'm going to be back. This is my kingship. Well, Absalom basically flies in the face of that and goes, no, I am king and then sleeps with them to make that point. That's what Adonijah is doing. We saw in chapter 1 that Absalom and Adonijah are peas in a pod. In their looks, in their behavior, in their attitude, in their upbringing. That was all given to us in chapter 1. So here we're seeing Adonijah act in the same way as Absalom. And that's why you see the response of, of Solomon the way he says, like in verse 22, well, why doesn't he just go ahead and ask for the kingdom as well while we're at it? Or in verse 24, when he says, as the Lord lives, who established me and placed me on the throne. Well, why are you saying that? Well, it's because Adonijah is undermining that. He's trying to gain political advantage. In fact, when he says that in, 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 in uh, verse 22 as well, he's already taken Abiathar and Joab on his side. This is just another way to look like he should be next in line to David. And so Solomon says that's going to be the end of his life. The point that you see being made here is remember Adonijah had appeared to show repentance. At the end of chapter 1, you had Adonijah, oh, you know, 
Show me mercy. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll submit. I'll do as you say. Just let me live. And I want you to see that enough time went by that it became clear the character of Adonijah. That he was not true in his repentance. He was not truly trying to submit to Solomon. This was not just simply an honest mistake and, oh, I thought I was supposed to be king, but actually it turns out that I wasn't. In fact, Adonijah even says that himself in verse 15 when he says, all Israel expected me to reign, but it's the Lord who turned this about. He knows who's supposed to be on the throne. But he's still trying to get in charge. And I think there's an important message here that you see regarding Solomon and Adonijah. That what you have with Adonijah is a false repentance that eventually is revealed. To say that another way, you only can hide the true you for so long. You only can hide the true you for so long. Adonijah for the while plays the part. Oh, okay, he's king, he's king. But just give him enough time. And now he makes this audacious request. He could have surely had anybody that he wanted to marry in the kingdom, being a son of David, but choosing Abishag of all people was certainly for political advantage. It was a direct attack on the throne. And what Solomon is basically indicating is he has now proven himself not to be the worthy one that I said he needed to be, but rather the wicked one. It finally came out. He has ultimately revealed who he is. And I think that's just an important concept for us to think about. Is that there's only so long that you can hide the true you. You can fake things for so long, but eventually who you are on the inside comes out. You can have a veneer and you can whitewash the outside for so long, but after a while, the real you comes out. In fact, is that not why we advise our younger people to date for as long as possible because you can put your best foot forward for a pretty good amount of time but after a while just give it enough time you're going to see who they really are put them in enough circumstances what's inside will ultimately come out and that's the idea here is that's always been true you only can cover the true you for so long you can only hide it for so long and especially when it comes to god god knows who we are. He knows what is in us. But even when it comes to Solomon's part, Adonijah said all the right words, but didn't lead to any life change. He said all the right things, but ultimately the true Adonijah came out. And because of that, Solomon declares him worthy of judgment. And you see in the scene that he is then ultimately executed not only that Solomon goes about dealing with the rest of the kingdom and establishing in verse 26 Abiathar is removed from the priesthood the only reason he is not executed for his uh, reversal of not supporting Solomon but instead supporting Adonijah and essentially being a betrayer is because of, of Abiathar's 
faithfulness to David according to verse 26. Because he was there with him, he will spare his life, but he is worthy of death for flipping against the son of David, the anointed one. And then Joab is finally dealt with as well. Joab goes running to the horns of the altar. He begs begs for mercy. It's funny, Benaiah goes to, to Saul and says, what do you want me to do? He's begging at the horns of the altar, very much parallelly like Adonijah. And, and Solomon says, let's go in there and get him. <laughs> go ahead and deal with it. Judgment needs to happen upon Joab as well. And so Joab uh, is also judged and killed for his shedding of innocent blood. Shimei is really interesting. Shimei gets a deal. So we just noted that David had said to Solomon, you need to deal with Shimei because of his cursings. I made a promise to him, but he's still worthy of judgment. And so Solomon, you deal with him. And so Solomon goes to Shimei and says, here's the deal I will make with you. You can live in Jerusalem all the days of your life. And if you never leave Jerusalem, then you'll be fine. But if you leave Jerusalem at all, then judgment's going to come upon you. Well, we're told one day one of his servants ran away, ran all the way to Gath, so all the way to the Philistia, and Shimei went after him. And as he's bringing his servant back, Solomon says, I told you to obey my orders, and because you refused, you will also be judged. And so you get these pictures of here are these people who were in defiance to the will of God, in defiance to David as king, or in defiance to Solomon as king, and because of their defiance, they are ultimately judged for their actions. Which I believe sets up for us tonight one huge point with one subpoint, very simple, one point message. For us tonight, but I think the point is simple yet really important. We have here the son of David establishing this kingdom and establishing his reign. And that kingdom and that rule is not a passive kingdom that allows its constituents to do whatever they want to do. That is not the kind of kingdom the son of David is establishing. And that is giving a foreshadowing of what the true son of David is going to do when he would come and he establish his kingdom in the New Testament. It is so easy sometimes to think, well, you know, Jesus is, you know, the kind and loving and he, he would just never judge anybody and he doesn't really care what we do and it's all all right and you just do what you think is best and follow your heart and it's interesting to see these pictures of god's kingdom that god's kingdom as solomon is established is not to solomon now you just let the people do whatever they want to do you let them choose their own path you let them guide their own ways whatever they think is best Think about how the chapter started. Keep the charge. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Obey His commandments. Keep His rules. Keep His statutes. Do as He says. And if you do as He says, it will go well for you and you will be blessed. But the kingdom also sets up and says, and if you defy the king and you refuse to walk in His ways, and you refuse to do as he says, then judgment is eventually going to be executed. And that is what you see with Solomon. 
And that's what David is telling Solomon. Now is the time for judgment. There was time that was given to all of these people. Very interesting to think about all of these people. Adonijah, Shimei, Joab, Abiathar. Lots and lots of time was given to them. And ultimately, their true colors are revealed. Who they are is on display. And David says to his son, now you must bring judgment. It is time to bring judgment upon those who refuse to submit to the will of the king. And that is our our first big picture of this kingdom, is that it is not a passive kingdom. It is an active kingdom. It is a judging kingdom. And we cannot believe that we belong to the kingdom of God, doing whatever we want to do, following our own paths, doing what we think is right. Judgment will eventually come for coming to God in that manner. We must come to him in submission. And the other side of the coin of what David told Solomon is just as equally true. That we must then keep the charge of the Lord if we are going to have success. I'm going to reference this New Testament passage, I think, quite a few times as we look at the life of Solomon. Because I think this part of the Sermon on the Mount really underscores and is a foundation to the pictures that are being given to us about Solomon's kingdom. Think about what David has told Solomon said, you need to follow the ways of God and walk in his paths and establish this kingdom. That needs to be your priority. And think about how the real son of David arrives, establishes his kingship, and he tells everybody to do this. In Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I'll be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Think about what David told Solomon. Walk in the ways, keep his statutes, be the king that God has called you to be, and if you do, you will prosper. God will bless you. Jesus comes along and says, I'm proclaiming my kingdom, and here's what I want you to do for it to go well for you. Don't seek after other things. Remember the context of this? Don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. All those kinds of things. All these worldly external concerns. Think about the kingdom of God. Seek his will. His kingdom. Seek his will. Follow his paths. Do as he says. And if you do that. All these things will fall into place. All these things will be added to you. That God is going to care for you. That God will be with you everywhere you go. It is fascinating to see these pictures of Solomon's kingdom as it begins to build as foreshadowing what Christ's kingdom is going to ultimately look like. Christ's kingdom is a picture of justice and a picture of judgment. But don't hear that in merely negative terms. That's a very positive thing. That he comes and he rewards those who are faithful and loyal to him. And brings judgment upon those who have not lived in a worthy way. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for strength and courage. 
the strength and the courage to live our lives according to the charge that David has set forward. Lord, that we would be strong in our service to you. That we would have the courage to obey you. And that we would walk in your ways. We would listen to your rules and your commandments. Lord, we pray for a strength to put that first above all else. Lord, we pray for forgiveness because we, we so easily allow your kingdom and allow your will to become far, far down the list of things that we think about. And so forgive us, Lord, for the times when we have not put your kingdom first in our lives. When we have not been loyal to you and we have not been seeking you and when we have not walked in your ways. And Lord, we thank you for the time of repentance that you give to all. We thank you that you give us opportunity to change. We thank you that you give us a chance to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to change and that the changes that we would make in our lives would not merely be external. But Lord, that your word would reach down deep into our hearts, truly transform us from the inside out, cause us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, we pray for that in our lives. We pray that you would change us through your word in those ways so that we could show ourselves faithful and loyal to you. Lord, forgive us for when we have not lived up to our words of repentance. We've turned back to doing what we want, living our own way, following our own paths. So God, please give us the strength to say no to those paths. And Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we seek you, that we would understand how much you are with us in us in this walk with you. Help us to see it. Help us to see our need to walk with you faithfully. Finally, Lord, we pray that we would have submissive hearts to your will. We would listen to what you have to say. That we would listen to your word. That we would follow your directions and not do what is right in our own eyes, but is right according to your will. Thank you for your patience and love that gives us the opportunity to make those changes today. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who needs help in making those changes, that they would see that today and start making that transformation now before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen.